have summoned the Crafted Recordings Podcast. Characteristics of fascism. One, powerful and continuing nationalism. Two, disdain for the recognition of human rights. Three, identification of enemies slash scapegoats as a unifying cause. Four, supremacy of the military. Five, rampant sexism. Six, controlled mass media. Seven, obsession with national security. Eight, religion and government are intertwined. Nine, corporate power is protected. Ten, labor power is suppressed. Eleven, disdain for intellectuals and arts. Well, obsession with crime and punishment. 13. Rampant cronyism and corruption. 14. Fraudulent elections. To them is what practice war magic. You are the rock stars and the rebels. The fierce ones that know why poison plants are sacred and why some fall. We who wash the bodies and pick grains of salt out of the soil know you weep even as you speak the words of wrath and retribution. In the smoke and bleak hours, it is your effort that gives us time to escape and mend. Know that I hold you dear and as kin. You are the holders of heartbreak, and through terrible alchemy have weaponized our memories of murdered children and the names of our trampled people. As all tools and prayers and skills of hand and heart are needed, please hear my requests spoken with only respect and appreciation. We who settle the angry dead and return the poison gland to medicine ask you to remember another of your gifts. Exorcism. To the fiery and icy hearts that rage and keen, that can reshape the world by vow and pact, by gesture and pledge, I ask. Remember the weak and the wounded, the bloodstained and the abused. Remember the ghost haunted, the soul twisted, the backridden, and the confused. In all of your workings and righteous acts, Purify and sanctify. Do not merely add to the suffering. To those who are newly called to the fight, know you the first people of your land. Look to them to give guidance and right insight. If they call for prayer, gladly join them. If they call for fetch and carry, gladly join them. In the silence, 
listen to your ancestors carried in blood and bone. Offer to and tend to the living as well as the dead. This legacy of suffering has been in the land all this time. The foul and cantankerous cannot be sealed, but it can be lanced and drained. I do not ask you to love your oppressor, or to be kind to them or set them before your people. I ask you to rid us of the abomination of hate. How we arrive there is between each of us and the quietude of our own hearts. A fascist ideology, the ones we're seeing on the alt-right and what we've seen traditionally in white nationalism, and, and really just for decades since the interwar Europe, is one that really is based on a sense of natural inequality based on an identity that's very essential, whether it's racial or gender or spiritual in some way. And so it's about instituting that inequality in all sorts of different ways, through all sorts of different mechanisms. And what we have today is sort of a authoritarian right populism that rose up and triggered a kind of reactionary impulse in a lot of the public. It fed on instincts and ideas that had kind of gone dormant but never really disappeared. And so it gave free reign for people to give in to those baser instincts, the ones that say, no, I'm going to racially scapegoat rather than work on to overcome um, race relations. And so what we're seeing today is a shift not to the conventional right, but more what we're talking about is a shift to a right on cultural politics, specifically race and gender. And so it's becoming more and more acceptable to say, you know what? No, I don't like Jews. No, actually, I'm tired of the feminists. No, actually, I don't want any more immigrant neighbors. And that's really presents one of the, the really scary things about it, because that's a process by which a state gains more power to step even further. So in a lot of ways, we have what is the fascist movement, not the fascist ideology. But the ideologues have used this to make massive strides that I, maybe a year ago or a year and a half ago, would never have guessed. They don't start with the whole thing of, hey, fuck the those Mexicans or something like that, or, hey, we need to fire up the gas chambers again. They, they don't start that way. The way they always do it is they deliberately talk about things that are potential points uh, like common ground or common experience or playing on very common frustrations, like talking with somebody who's had like employment difficulties and then talking up all those immigrants and then, you know, going from there. Or like for the kind of more anti-PC kind of approach of saying, hey, it's just about pride. It's just about like heritage and all these things that because of the nature of the United States and its self-image as we are a melting pot nation that has people from all kinds of different places, so it leads to this, like they take the existing argument of this is about understanding diversity and change and other people in society. Instead, it's turned towards, hey, how about we find a reason for exclusion and creating feelings of superiority in some way? And it's always kind of sneaky that way, and that's how they usually go in. But I think this, I think they're feeling bold enough that they might start getting a bit more blatant. 
I think it's possible that they might be getting less subtle about it and more open. These ideas seep in so much further than the bounds of the right. And you'll encounter this a lot in leftist spaces where far-right ideas have made their way in and kind of nestled in uncritically or un unchallenged. And so we, we take this, these kind of items and a lot of spaces like the left or dissident religious communities take on these ideas because they're more willing to challenge the status quo anyway, and therefore they're more willing to take on controversial views and oftentimes they'll kind of appropriate those things. One strategy after the Second World War was to start to blister ideas down to a real core. What are the core ideas of fascism? What are the core impulses there? And to do that was to really reframe a lot of the white supremacist rhetoric as differentialism. It's not that white people are better necessarily, it's just that they're different, you know? We need to maintain those divisions, we need to maintain distinctiveness. And that really underlies a lot of what we see now with the alt-right, is this idea that an ethnostate is necessary for white people to reclaim something really essential and core about their personhood. All of this is obviously scientifically false. It's empirically false if we're to look at data, but it, it does drive from something very real, which is a lack of rootedness. And in a lot of ways, the left appeals to the same issues, people's lack of community, the lack of control over their lives, inability to take control in places like their workplaces, and a lot of oppression uh, day to day. The right feeds on that too and says, no, your issue is your lack of rootedness. It's your lack of white identity. And it's also the inability to live with all these people of color. The other thing that's happening 
is a real discussion about what it means to have community support and solidarity and to go beyond just the bounds of normal organizing and to really support people. And you see that on a micro kind of liberal scale with things like with the safety pin campaign of saying, I'm a safe person, you can come to me. But on a larger scale, it's about creating real bonds and networks so people can respond to crisis, interpersonal crisis. Are there racists harassing someone in your community? Are they making people unsafe? Um, are women unsafe to go to work? Because we're hearing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reports far beyond normal just in the last week and a half um, of people who feel emboldened to just take out their racist and sexist anger. So I think developing those community bonds, that is a language that's happening all across the board. Every organization, organizers, all people getting involved. And the other thing is that organizations doing work that affect this, whether it's economic justice work, uh, labor organizing, um, housing justice, all the way to anti-fascist and anti-racist organizing, there's seeing mass influx of people who want to do something. People aren't a deer in headlights this time. They're not standing and waiting for something to happen. There certainly are liberals on the sidelines that are criticizing people in the streets and making fun of them and who are unwilling to uh, get involved to do something about it, but that is not the dominant faction. And I think people are actually emboldened to get involved, and that's the first idea. Um, that's at play here is that it's time to get involved and to organize in ways that we might not have before at this point what we really need I agree is we need a strong united front we need to find a way to say okay we can't agree on everything but we have to we all are going to need to work together on this and we're going to need to work decisively and support each other as best as we can and as examples from history show, the more people get involved in struggle, the more open they become to effective radical action. We can find ways to push towards very direct and potent forms of action that have worked in the past. And thinking outside of conventional labor action, there is what you can do on your job, like if you work at a restaurant or if you work in some kind of office of finding ways to develop like safe discussion groups and support groups within the workplace so that then that could potentially be an avenue for further action but it can also be something that if you're in a more hostile workplace could be a necessary survival mechanism we can bring any system to the ground with sufficient mass action and the potential is there it is necessary that we build these ties. I mean, go shake hands with your neighbor, go help you cross the street, whatever. Like, do those basic human acts of reaching out and participating in others' lives and others' circumstances, experiences. Like, pushing back against the atomization of the individual is the bedrock of building any kind of solidarity. And once we have that, it's possible to really push back. One example of how effective this kind of thing can be is the Norwegian resistance movement against Nazi occupation. They engaged in a number of different forms of uh, direct action and non-compliance. The paperclip as a symbol of resistance was something that came from them doing that as a way of showing solidarity with each other in resistance to the Nazis and a number of actions where they effectively stymied any possible regular functioning of life and government in Norway under Nazi occupation. Uh, Denmark uh, did something very similar. And these things show how powerful it can be when you have people working strongly together, even against a terrifyingly oppressive force. 
we have what we've always had, which is each other. Uh, we have the ability to come together. The right wing has always had money. They have always had political power, and we've always had the people. And that's something that we have to know now, because it's, it's what we really have now. And so we have to have a certain amount of faith in that. I don't want to give false optimism to people. We are in a bad situation right now. This was not a good turn, and it wasn't an expected one. But it's the one we have, and so it's what we have to fight with. And so it's what we have to fight with.